Today is Monday, October the 19th, and this is Battleground. Uh, today we are joined by the Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense, Sergio de la Peña. Um, Sergio, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me. <clears throat> absolutely, absolutely. I appreciate you coming on. I know you're super busy. What a crazy week it's been. Uh, everything that broke last week with the Hunter Biden laptop, the emails, one of his partners in prison, collaborating, sharing thousands of emails as well, uh, corroborating really the story that broke in the New York Post about a pay-for-play scheme that the vice president's son, uh, apparently with his blessings, uh, have been going on for years with Burisma, uh, with the Russians, with China. Uh, it, it is it is a sloppy, sloppy mess. It is a horrible situation, uh, uncovering institutional uh, corruption at the highest levels in the U.S. government at the vice presidency. It's just really, really appalling, really shocking. It's the type of crap you probably see in Latin America, but never expect to see here in the United States. And, you know, the media, uh, what can I say? I mean, they, are, they, they, they have really taken off the gloves. They have really shown their true colors. They are absolutely in the tank for the Democrats. They're absolutely in the tank for Joe Biden. Um, they should not uh, be considered media, but an extension of them, their PR arm, their communications arm, they should have to be registered as a 527 as their super PAC. It, it, it's amazing. Um, Sergio, I mean, you know, you, you, you've held some of the highest positions in government. What do you think? Well, thank you very much. First, I just wanted to clarify one thing. I was the Deputy Assistant Secretary Correct. of Defense until about a week and a half ago. So with that, I think what we need to start, where we need to start is where are we with the current administration? Under President Trump, we've had the highest employment record for, for, any, for the, the U.S. government. It's also the best for African-Americans. It's the best for Hispanics. It's the, the one that has reduced uh, welfare uh, to a very low level. Uh, we have um, gasoline right now is at $2.27. That's the last time I topped off. Uh, and if you look back at the previous administration, you're talking about gas prices north of $4 a gallon. So I think we need to draw that contrast. I think what you've seen in the last three years is something significantly better than what we had in the previous eight by a long shot. So given that, uh, we can start looking at where we stand right now with this situation uh, with the president's son. Uh, I think what you need to, to understand is just the levels of uh, perceived corruption or uh, alleged corruption because everything has to be proven. Uh, but you're talking about uh, tens of millions of dollars for the Chinese. You've got $3.5 million that he received from the, the mayor's wife of Moscow. And, and we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars per month paid uh, for advising Burisma. So just that out of the gate is a significant is a significant start. And if you look at the way this came about, 
uh, he was not very careful in the way that he turned in um, a laptop computer for repairs. It went to a shop in Delaware. The, um, he didn't pay to have it fixed. And after 90 days, it became the property of the shop owner, who then went to an American congressman and said, hey, uh, here's, I, I've, I've looked at this computer. I find some things in there that are troubling. And uh, you probably want to take a look at this. No response. Uh, he went to the FBI. No response. And he finally gave it to a copy to uh, Rudy Giuliani, who then had a chance to take a look at it. And then all of a sudden, the FBI comes back and they say, we need that computer back. And in the meantime, when all, the, all of the, uh, the people that are defending uh, the, uh, the vice president's son said it was, it was hacked and the, the material was illegally obtained, we find that, in fact, it was a, as I just described. So there's a lot of explanation that needs to take place. Uh, further, if you look at a hacking, it's, it's got to be done um, in a certain way. But when, it, when we investigated it, or when it was investigated, it was found that the lawyer for uh, Hunter Biden called the shop asking for the computer back. So that's an admission that, in fact, it was his computer. Well, well, and the, and the other thing is, right, is, is we have Adam Schiff, we have the entire media, CNN, fake news, everybody going out there, uh, Washington Post, ABC, you name it, pushing the story that this is just part of a Russian disinformation campaign. And, and they're pushing that story as if it's 100% uh, certain. It's, 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 it's been verified. It's, it, it is fact. Um, when we know that's not true, we have DNI Radcliffe that came out and said that that's not true, that it's not part of any Russian disinformation campaign. Uh, what's going on here? Well, I think uh, what you have to look at is how long has this been going on? You've got to go and do the forensics on the emails that are there. Uh, and all indications are is that there's a lot more corroborating information on what DNI Radcliffe, um, that led DNI Radcliffe to the conclusion that he's been able to come up with. But I think that we also need to take a look at what was the nature of, of some of some of his business dealings. If you look at Burisma, it was, it was crooked from, from the top down. Uh, and the, the timing of the whole event uh, gives indications that the reason that they wanted Hunter Biden on their payroll was to have influence on the vice president who had the responsibility of uh, the U.S. relationship with Ukraine. So what you need to, <clears throat> what we need to look at is, was there any type of quid pro quo? You saw the, the um, interview that he had where he admitted that he went to Ukraine and in essence had the, uh, the attorney general or the prosecutor that was looking into the case fired. I mean, he made that very public uh, at, the, at, the, um, at a conference that he had a, a couple of years ago. So you know that there's some type of connection there. And then you, you start looking at 
what was it that they got in return? And the return was that the investigation was dropped and the prosecutor was fired. Well, you know, he pushes uh, Poroshenko, right, to, to fire the, uh, the, the prosecutor. He boasts about it in public. But also, um, I think there was an article from uh, Ignatius, right, over on, uh, at the Washington Post saying how, uh, how Joe Biden had been talking about how he needed money and how he needed money from way back. Uh, when, when Bo Biden was still alive because Bo Biden was getting married and blah, 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 and all these things. And his parents were getting older and he needed money for his parents because they didn't have money. Um, all, all these all these stories that tie into this narrative that this guy was obviously on the take, right? And we have one of Hunter Biden's associates who's in prison who has also corroborated and turned over thousands of emails as well. And they show things that are very disturbing, right, Sergio, um, where they talk about, you know, certain percentages for people, including holding 10% for the big guy, the, the email, you know, uh, uh, from the Burisma executive uh, to Hunter Biden asking him to use his influence to secure a meeting with, the, with his father, the vice president, then a follow-up email months later thanking him for that, for that email and that introduction. And then we know that later that year, that's when he did the, um, when, when he forced that prosecutor out, right? So right. It, 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 you know, you can't really make this stuff up, right? It's all there. And the timelines go together, everything works out. And what's, what's troubling here is that they impeached the president of the United States, Trump, for doing what, this guy, what these people did, except that Trump didn't do anything, right? Well, actually, I think, if I recall, the impeachment was based on the president asking about what the what what were Hunter Biden's activities in Ukraine because he was concerned that they were breaking the law, and instead uh, you have exactly uh, the opposite. You actually have Hunter Biden uh, doing a a, a, a uh, pay for play type of interaction where it's involving his own father. And in fact, if you look at the picture of uh, the Bidens, uh, Devin Archer, and the Ukrainian playing golf, it makes you wonder what were they doing. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's really complicated. Uh, it, 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 it's it's extremely concerning. And he, here's the other thing: is you know there, there's a there's a broader investigation going on with U.S. Attorney Durham. I think COVID slowed that down. Everybody was hoping he would have been done by, by spring or summer, you know, or certainly by, by, you know, early fall. And here we are, you know, two weeks away from the election and it doesn't look like he's going to be able to come out with anything, but there's been some information that has been declassified by AG Barr about where did this whole Russian collusion story start? And we now know that it started with Hillary Clinton, um, that, uh, that director Brennan, knew about it and he briefed President Obama about it. Yet, you know, they ran, they created, you know, the entire thing, you know, uh, Crossfire Hurricane, the, the FISA warrants, everything, knowing exactly where this came from. I mean, I would have to imagine some people are going to have to be held accountable for this, don't you think? I think that what you're going to find is you have corroborating information. With when you look at the emails that were in the computer 
And if you look at the business partner that's currently in jail that gave authorization for it, um, I believe it's Rudy Giuliani to go through the emails, there's going to be a corroboration there because you're going to get the, the, the emails that were in the computer and then you're also going to have the emails that came in from their, 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 uh, their business partner. So I think that's going to raise a lot of questions and we won't know until there's, there's a, an opportunity for people to go through them. But my guess is by now, uh, whoever's looking at this has a pretty good idea of what's going on and there will be uh, additional information provided that I believe may force some type of investigation. Now, the defense that the Biden campaign has been uh, putting up is this is all, um, this is all a ploy to, to weaken the vice president. This is all made up stuff. Uh, I don't know that that's going to hold if you can corroborate some of the, some of the things that are being said and you identify some of the people uh, that are, that are claimed to have been involved in taking illegal action, such as the distribution of money. Uh, when they start talking about money to the big guy and things like that, that big guy's going to be identified. Uh, and it's going to make things significantly more difficult uh, to deny if uh, you can identify who some of these people are exactly. Yeah, yep, yep. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's frustrating uh, to so many Americans to have to wait, right? And there's so many people that's, that, that don't understand the bureaucratic process and are complaining, why, why isn't all this just released? Why isn't all this just shown out in the open? Why isn't all this exposed? Why can't everybody see what's real and what isn't real? Why are they holding back? What about the story that the FBI has had this hard drive for a year and they haven't done anything? Why, why haven't they done anything, right? And, and, and it just creates more and more doubt, right? Um, I wanted to ask you something, Sergio, um, because obviously, you know, you, you're the Deputy Assistant Secretary at DOD for Western Hemisphere. You understand Western Hemisphere very, very well. Um, so you know some of the problems that have been going on down there. Um, but what the media is doing today in this country, uh, what we saw Twitter and Facebook do, I would have never imagined that happening in the United States. I, I, I've seen it happen all throughout Latin America for decades that I've been, you know, either traveling to, living in, or doing business with, you know, uh, but never here, right? Um, how do you how, how do you explain that? Well, it's difficult to explain. But before we go to that, I just wanted to add one more thing on on uh, on Hunter Biden. Uh, where he really made a lot more money than in Ukraine and Russia was in China. Now, his company uh, did a joint venture with a Chinese company that sold U.S. military drone technology to China. So they, they, they had their joint venture. They were able to take some of the information that, that they were able to uh, gain from the United States and then that the Chinese partner sold that technology to China. And that particular company is tied to the, the, the Chinese Communist Party and the People's Liberation Army, uh, which uh, has a shady history because some of the officers in that company 
are either in jail or the company has been has been disbanded. Now, to be able to do joint ventures, one of the things that you have to comply with first is to ensure that it complies with what's, that it's got to comply with uh, regulations with the Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., also known as CFIUS. And uh, I guess the question then becomes, who approved uh, the CFIUS request? Uh, because it has to go through the State Department. And if you look at who another one of the partners uh, with the Bidens was, is Devin Archer, who is the stepson of uh, Defense Secretary, or I'm sorry, uh, Secretary of State at the time, uh, John, John Kerry. Kerry. So yeah. that, that's another area that needs to be looked upon. Now, getting back to and, 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 and Sergio, and all that falls into like the ITAR and EAR and all that, right? Well, CFIUS is more important because, uh, well, it's all important. CFIUS is a way to ensure that as we allow components to U.S. products uh, to be sold in the United States, that they not have uh, materials in them that can allow the Chinese to take advantage of gathering information from whatever that product is. Let's say, for example, if you were going to build a plane and you want to know uh, what that plane is doing, and if it's, especially if it's a military aircraft, if you have components, if you have chips, if you have things that can emit and provide a signal to the Chinese in a way that they can tie it into their intelligence gathering apparatus, that's not a good thing. Uh, if they can tie into camera systems that are in areas uh, that are sensitive, that's not a good thing. So the purpose of CFIUS is to ensure that whatever components the Chinese provide are not going to give them a leg up and have them have a way of obtaining situational awareness of uh, things that we're doing, especially if they're, they're military in nature or sensitive in nature. And so that's the purpose of CFIUS. And what, they, what is alleged here is that drone technology went to the Chinese. Now, in this case, what did they do with that technology? Um, we don't know. The Chinese have been known uh, for taking advantage of our laws, uh, especially uh, when it comes to patents and things of that nature. And they, whatever te technology they obtain, um, they reverse engineer and get away with not having to all do all the the research and development that is so costly. So they're gaining a and you know a leg up on competing with us because they don't have to put in the cost to do that kind of work. Exactly. And, and in a situation like that, is that normally approved? No, that's what I'm getting at. Yep. If it's if it's uh if it's going to the Chinese, we need to make sure that there's an agreement on what type of technology is, is going to be provided to them. In this case, I don't know all the details. I, ha I also have to caveat that. I don't know if, if they were able to uh, ascertain specifically that there was sensitive information that was provided, but it, it does raise questions about, is this something that is okay? Is this something that we would have normally been okay with providing to the Chinese? Because CFIUS is, is a thing that, everybody is focused on these days, um, especially as the supply chains become so complex. Um, that's that's uh, one of those areas that I think needs it needs more scrutiny. And obviously, you have to make a determination if, if it crossed any type of thresholds, but it at least merits uh, taking a look at. Well, you know, and, and not to use, you know, 
the president's words, but let's use the president's words, is this guy wasn't really qualified, right? Um, you know, he got kicked out of the Navy. He, he, he was a known drug addict, alcoholic, uh, you know, involved with, with strippers and hookers and smoking crack and et cetera, et cetera. How, how does somebody like that end up getting $1.5 billion from China? Well, you know, how does he get a board seat with Burisma making one hundred eighty eighty-three thousand dollars a month? I mean, well, that, you know, the, 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 these these things don't happen, right? They don't happen to regular regular folks. Correct, and and I I don't want to besmirch anybody who's got a drug problem or has got those type of issues sure. because obviously there's there's a concern there on the, this person's well-being. That said, uh, you need to be accountable for what you do. And those are excellent questions. I don't think anybody else would have the ability to make money in up to the billions of dollars if you look at the value of the companies and, and all, of the, all of the additional uh, payments that you get for the work that he did, unless you are able to uh, gain something for it. And if you've got the vice president uh, that is who you are influencing and a potential president, uh, it makes you wonder what else they know. And in uh, in our world, if you have any type of information that could be compromising, uh, it at least raises concerns. So if you have a son that's done all these things and there's incriminating information on things that he did, uh, that deserves some investigation. I'm not claiming that he did anything or didn't do anything, but everything points at something that needs desperately uh, some type of investigation, especially when you talk about exchange of money, exchange of information, that's very concerning. Well, and, and that's a great point. Um, is he compromised? Because they're talking about videos and pictures and we've seen some of the pictures, you know, that have been uh, leaked, right, or put out. Uh, right. But we understand there's also videos of, of uh, of Biden in very, very troubling, you know, circumstances. That's correct. So that's, that's a concern. And so getting back to your point about comparing uh, the United States with, with, with other countries, uh, when you start using media to censor journalism, that should be a, a glaring red flag and, and red star clusters as we use in the army. Those are those fireworks that make a bright red star in the sky. Yep. Uh, that is a huge concern because if you are able to silence the New York Post, if you are able to silence the president's press secretary, That's that should set off a bunch of red flags. How on earth is it that you have media companies that have that type of power. It is very, very, very concerning. When you start messing with the First Amendment, that's the reason that, that makes this country different from any other place in the world. When you can stifle the First Amendment, we should all be extremely concerned. And, and you mentioned that, that, that one specific individual, right? The, the press secretary of the United States for her to be shut down, to, to have her account blocked. That's insane. And we've heard that there's a, there's some kind of, there, there's, there's always this defense that 
the, they had to verify that the account wasn't hacked, but yet nobody verified that the president's tax returns weren't hacked right. or that the, the first lady's telephone wasn't hacked. All of these things scream of a one-sided, uh, the one-sided nature of the media. And if you start creating that type, of, uh, mm -hmm. that type of an environment where the media determines what's truth, let's go to 1984 and the Ministry of Truth. This is Winston Smith at its finest. You've got the makings of an organization or an entity that is now the determinant of truth. They have their own fact checkers. They have their own personnel. They are the ones that determine what is what 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 gets divulged and what doesn't. And I think if you, I just finished reading our our constitution before talking to you today, um, and that's not a good place to be because that the First Amendment was the most important. Yeah, I, I just can't believe you know when when all that happened. First of all, when when they started putting those uh, those warnings on. Um, uh, on President Trump's tweets, I thought there's no way this is going to continue, right? There's got to be some, something's got to be done, but nothing happened. So they have kept on pushing forward, pushing forward to, like you said, they, uh, they, they canceled the press secretary's Twitter account. And that, that's just, it, it's crazy. Um, you know, I, I used to do a lot of media and I was on, I was uh, doing the whole circuits during the primary and the general election and after the election, you know, of 2016 and all the way through the midterms or whatnot. But, you know, right, right after the, the, the president was inaugurated, you know, I was on CNN and actually CNN Español and on, on Cafe CNN. And that, that was one of the one of the attacks, right? They're like, you know, the president calls us fake news and fake news and fake news. How do you support this? How can you support this? And I, you know, and 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 I said, well, because it's true, you guys are fake news, right? And uh, they, they didn't like it, but you know, it, it happens to be factually accurate, right? They they spent eight years during during their best imitation to look like seals, right? And I say a seal because a seal. At, uh, at SeaWorld, you know, we'll sit there and clap, right? And all they did was clap every time Obama opened his mouth. They never fact-checked anything. They never called him out on anything. He was the Messiah. All of a sudden, Trump is president, and now they are the, the, the sole owners and the authority on, on the truth, which is what you were saying, right? Now they get to decide what's true and what's not true. And I, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that's extremely dangerous. I don't know where this ends. Um, if the FCC doesn't do something about this, I think we're 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 in we're we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, I, I just don't see this ending well for the country when you know the one entity, you know, like you said, controls what can be said, what can't be said, what's true, what's not true. And the, have you noticed that they only fact check Republicans? Absolutely. You know, they never <laughs> fact check the other side. You know, on the debate, they had these real time fact checkers and, and fact checking the president. Where were the fact checkers on, on, on everything that Joe, uh, the jo, uh, Joe Biden lied about? See, it doesn't exist. It's totally one sided. I don't think I, I just don't see the media continuing to operate the way they have been. I think something's gonna have to be done 
um, because it's, I, I think it's extremely dangerous. Well, I agree. And, and one of the things that's concerning is if you look at the town halls and you look at the treatment that the president got as compared to the, the treatment that Vice President Biden got, it's, it's day and night. If you look at the number of breaks that they put in between uh, the vice president's presentation and that of President Trump, uh, he was, uh, it was like it was on a Geritol diet because he'd speak for about 12 minutes and then he'd take about a four or five minute commercial break, speak for a little bit, another break, another break, another break. And if you look at the way that the president was treated the first 20 minutes of the, the town hall, it was an interrogation. And it was a it was a, a a hostile interrogation by an individual who obviously was one-sided. And you look at the way that the vice president was was treated and the people that were there. Uh, there's a significant difference, and yet the big hubbub over the town hall was the young lady that was nodding her head in agreement with the president uh, was allegedly a plant. And if you recall the purpose of having the town hall is you have people that are on the fence, you have people that support, you have people that are, that, that are against. And so to have them go ballistic on this young lady uh, that who later did an interview and she said, I agree with the president. I was just showing my, my agreement. Oh, by the way, she didn't even get a chance to talk because the interrogator before uh, the thing, before they actually got into interviewing some of the people that were asking the questions from the audience uh, sucked up about 20 minutes of, of the president's town hall. And, uh, and, and what she said and, and the way she behaves, so, so Anna Guthrie is, uh, is, is, is absolutely so unprofessional. It was so unprofessional. It was absolutely ridiculous. And, and the way they treat, you know, like you were saying, the way they treat Joe Biden is like, you know, as if they were talking to a child. Well, you know, one of the, you know, you bring up an excellent point with, with the way they treat him. Think about how he would treat us. If you have a president that is so afraid of putting itself at any kind of risk, who's always living in his basement, who comes out only periodically, how well do you think he's going to do under press scrutiny if he's ever the president? How well is he going to do in a crisis? if you still have COVID around or you have some other pandemic that's even more dangerous, how is he gonna be able to operate? You've got a vice president or you've got a vice presidential candidate who can't even go into the Senate and articulate her position in person. She has to be Skyped in or Zoomed in, whatever system they use. And she's not present. They're neither present. So that's a, so that's a great point, Sergio. Do you think they can get away with this? Does do do, do do Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, can they get away with hiding and having the media do their campaigning for them? Will well, the American just, people tolerate that? Well, just look at what they've done already. You've got you've got Scully, who they find was actually, in fact, lying. Yep. and gets kicked out the C-SPAN. You got Savannah Guthrie, the interrogator. Yep. You have um, the, um, the moderator for the first debate, solidly a Democrat. You got yep. the moderator for the last debate, solidly a Democrat. Yep. I don't understand how that happens, but it happens. Yep. So this is, these are the, if you want to put it in, you know, in nautical terms, these are the headwinds that the president is facing. And yet 
they haven't been able to lay a glove on him because he hasn't done anything wrong. Right. They they did the they did the the Russia hoax. They did the impeachment. They did the the Ukraine hoax. Uh, they did uh, all the other stuff prior to him being elected, and yet he's still been able to do measurably, significantly, by an order of magnitude, better than than anything that President Obama did. Right. And on top of that, he's had 90, on average, between 90 and 94% of every media piece that comes out are hit jobs against the president. And uh, and he's still, you know, circling around, you know, close to 50% approval numbers. That's amazing. That is amazing. It just goes to show how much success he's had, how, how much of an impact he's really been able to have. And and quite frankly, you know, that he's been able to get through to the American people and bypass the media, which is what drives him crazy, right? Um, I don't know, Sergio, man, I, you know, I, I, I'm very concerned. Um, I, I've seen Latin America up close, like I told you, I've been dealing with them for, for decades in, 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 in several capacities, uh, you know, either traveling to, living in, or, or doing business with, and, uh, and, and the level of corruption that I've seen down there is, uh, is, 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 is something that you, uh, that you see uh, on TV or in movies or maybe in some books. But uh, I'm starting to see that here. And, it, you know, and, and, and obviously, you know, it happens in other countries around the world as well. But, you know, this is really a well-coordinated, well-financed, you know, movement right by the left globally you know to take down their opponents and and they're using the same strategies you know around the world that now they're bringing here to the u.s the difference is that trump has been extremely strong and has been able to support and withstand the assault and it looks like he he's going to be on his way to re-election as well but latin america's in trouble um we see a lot of the we see a lot of the the the, the countries down there with a big influence from the left. Fora Sao Paulo, Uruguay, Puebla, you know the the problems with the cartels down there. You know, last week it was uh, broken that you know the former Secretary of Defense for Peña Nieto was actually a cartel member. There's some noise about maybe the you know the Interior Minister is next. Uh, there's you know for 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 well over a year there's there's been, you know, enough information out there to, to, to you know, circulating that uh, that there's a current member of the cartel in, his, in, in Lopez Obrador's cabinet now. Uh, you know, you look at the problems in Colombia, in Chile, in, in, in Peru, where they shut down Congress, uh, Bolivia, uh, Nicaragua, Argentina, you name it. The, the list is so long. Um, you know, I know the president was trying to get us out of uh, out of the Middle East and try and focus a little bit more in in Latin America, um, can we save that region, or is that region gone? Well, I think that's one way of looking at it. Let's 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 look at it a little bit more uh, um, soberly. First sure. of all, if you look at if you look at the hemisphere, we're actually in in a much better place in this half of the world than we are on the other side of the world. Yeah, and just talking from the job that I had. Uh, up until a week and a half ago, uh, I was responsible for defense policy for this hemisphere. And I characterized it as prosperous, uh, collaborative, prosperous, and secure. 
And I say it in that order because with 18% of the global population and 35% of the land mass of the globe, we produce one third of the global GDP. And if you look at alignment right now with the United States, you have three countries that are, that are significantly out of alignment. You've got Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua. You've got uh, countries like um, Mexico and Argentina that are, that are a little lukewarm, but still uh, have fairly decent relationships with us. From a, from a defense perspective, you look at establishing institutional ties. And so if you look at the institutional ties that we have with the militaries, they're quite good. And yeah. if you look at the alignment, it's, it's quite, it's pretty favorable. That said, um, the elections in Bolivia appear to have gone uh, not in a good way because the MAS is returning. Yeah. Uh, so that means that we have Bolivia now out of alignment. Yeah. Uh, we've got some challenges in Chile. If you saw the, yeah. the, uh, the demonstrations they had over the weekend where they torched a church that was built in 1860, it was in, in the 19th century. It was a beautiful church. I know yeah. it well. Yeah. Um, and, and they burned two churches. And the people that burned those churches were Antifa or Antifa-affiliated groups. Yeah. And there's a movement in Latin America to move things in that direction. Also, the 25th of October, there's going to be a vote on uh, rewriting the Constitution or at least uh, some type of referendum on, on how much of the Constitution they're going to rewrite. So uh, Chile may be uh, challenged a bit. Yeah. And I, why, why I'm saying all this is because if you look at the hemisphere, it's gone through some, it's, it, 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 it has an ebb and flow to it. And you're going to have that when you have nascent democracies or, or young democracies is yeah. a better way to describe it. Yeah. Because if you look at Latin America, you went from authoritarian governments, in, in some cases uh, during the Cold War, military governments, and then eventually they went to democracies. Yeah. And then, and then you, we, we got into this ebb and flow of alignment. I worked very hard to keep the alignment as close to the United States as possible. Uh, I'm a little dismayed with what happened in Bolivia, uh, but that's what happens in, in democracies. You you have to let the people decide. Now, well, also the uh, the the right over there was was wasn't united, right? So so they uh, they split the vote a little bit. So which is which is generally what's what happens in Latin America. They you have all these different parties and, and they uh, dissipate the vote instead of consolidating it, right? So. Unfortunately, that's the case. And, and what the left does very well, or let's, let's call them what they really are, they're socialists, Marxists, and communists. Yeah. And depending on the country, it's one of those three. Uh, if you look at the, at the Foro de Sao Paulo, it's, it's the core of it is communist. It's the, it's the re, um, uh, re, re-imaging of the Communist Party, the, the Communist International. You know, when the wall collapsed and communism fell apart, yep. Lula and Castro formed the photo so that they would replace what the Communist International had been. And then you cranked up the GUE in Europe to do basically the same thing. And then more recently, uh, I believe it was last year, you know, the Grupo de Puebla popped up that's got in it nine presidents, nine former presidents from Latin America. So uh, you're seeing this evolution or you're seeing this force that looks at aligning 
the the hemisphere in in a in a in a socialist or communist direction. The thing that you've got to remember is that it ends up having the same result. Uh, Allende promised the moon. Yeah. Uh, these communist constitutions are are based on the path to hell, paved with good intentions. They give you every right under the sun. Um, you know, just to, to draw a parallel that's very concerning to me is I was in Venezuela when Chavez got elected. I knew that he was going to move things in the direction that he did because yeah. he was a socialist. He was a Marxist. And so he did not disappoint. But if you look at what he did is he created the fourth branch of government. It was the moral branch. The moral branch is that branch which had in it all of the investigative bodies uh, for the state. So he created it. Therefore, it was under the direction of the executive. And then he stacked the court in his favor. He stacked the electoral council in his favor. And the only thing that was left was the National Assembly, which finally got fed up with, with uh, his, his, you know, got fed up with Chavez and they had a super majority to, to uh, rechange the constitution. A super majority that he destroyed by saying that the indigenous populations, the indigenous representatives um, were not valid votes. And eventually uh, we started with, with the, the ebb and flow that you see now where Maduro replaced Chavez and, and, and Venezuela is in the mess that it is. My point there is that there was a, a need to consolidate power on the Venezuelan side. And what we're seeing in the United States, which is really troubling, going back to what we were saying about um, how you control information and how you're not able to get a straight answer from Vice President Biden, is he won't answer the question about packing the courts. Right. They know they've lost uh, with Amy Coney Barrett, who is filling a vacancy, not court packing. The fact that you have educated people even making that parallel is ridiculous. So you've got one thing which is replacing an outgoing uh, Supreme justice. Court justice within the confines or within the dictates of the Constitution. And then you've got the desire to add an additional six, six Supreme Court justices. What you're doing is politicizing the Supreme Court and destroying the, the greatest experiment in, in democracy the world has ever known. Yeah, and that's, and that's a concerning part, right? So, well, hey, you know, Sergio, it, it sure sounds like you're very, very optimistic on Latin America. I, I, I'm glad to hear that. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Um, I, I, I was really concerned with, with the region um, and, and, and with what's going on down there, but I'm glad to hear I mean, if you're comfortable with what's going on, it's it's, it's going to make me feel a lot more comfortable. That, that's for sure. You know? well, let me let, let me let me let me just clarify that yeah. um, I am concerned. The thing is that I'm explaining that where things have been and where things are right now, we're not in a bad place. What I'm concerned about is you're seeing countries like Bolivia that are now headed in the wrong direction. Yeah. There's a there's concerns about Chile. Heading in the wrong direction. Peru, yeah. He's, yeah. Per, Peru, Peru is, is. I think Peru will be okay. I think Ecuador will be okay. Yeah. Uh, I think Colombia, uh, that has to put up with all of the noise and all of the challenges yeah. that come out of Venezuela, is doing okay. 
because the Colombians know what it's like to have left-leaning governments in their own country. By the way, one of the members of the Grupo de Puebla is none other than President, former President Sampero Colombia, who was the guy that was responsible for the, uh, the zona de despeje, the demilitarized zone the size of Switzerland in Colombia. Yeah. So it gives you an idea of what some of these people uh, whose membership is in the Grupo de Puebla are like. Yeah. If you look at Rafael Correa, yeah. you know, his father yeah. was arrested by the DEA um, and uh, he went back and committed suicide. And he's never, you know, I, I don't think that uh, President Correa ever got over that and right. uh, had, had a bone to pick with the United States. Yeah. Uh, and yet he was also not exactly um, the kind of president that one says was free of corruption, because if you look at the deals that he made with China yeah. and all of the kickbacks that he took or all the money that he took, um, he was not a good president. He's another member of the Grupo de Puebla, Dilma Rousseff. She was, um, she was impeached, and yet there she is. Lula went to jail. Yeah. He's there. So yeah. that's that's some of the who's who of, of the Grupo de Puebla, and there's others. Yeah, it's crazy. But, you know, some of the positive things that are going on with Mexico, even though they have a lot of issues, but their military, uh, Lopez Obrador's administration, has been, uh, surprisingly, actually, uh, working well with, with the U.S. government, right? So I go back to the issue of the institutional relationship. Um, my last job... Uh, in, in military, I did 30 years of military service. My last job was as the International Affairs Division Chief in uh, U.S. Northern Command. Okay. When I first got there in 2006, the relation with Mexico was very lukewarm. By the time I left it, it really started improving and it really wasn't anything that I did. It had more to do with President Calderon being elected and deciding to do more things with the United States. And it's been improving since then. We've gone through some other high points uh, you know, back in World War II. But I think right now it's at about the highest point that it's ever been. And it's an institutional relationship. Um, the situation that just occurred with the former uh, Secretary of National Defense is very, very unfortunate. Um, that just goes to show that no matter um, who's in office, no matter how you put in uh, means of, of keeping corruption in check, there's always going to be that temptation and people are sometimes going to fall for it. Uh, I don't know um, if he's guilty or not. That's for a court to prove. But if right. he's guilty, then he has, to, he has to answer to the consequences of his illegal activities. That said, that doesn't mean that every person in the Mexican military is corrupt or Correct. By, Correct. by any means, because Correct. the vast majority are not the, 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 the overwhelming majority. Yeah, and they're, and, they're, and they're collaborating with the U.S. government, right? They're protecting the border right now, right? They've Correct. done a tremendous job with that, right? And, that, and I don't think that gets enough attention when, when I think it should. Well, I think it's not just the military. It's, it's the Mexican government. Yep. And now, that said, um, we have a lukewarm relationship with, with, uh, with Mr. Amlo because uh, he has his own way of doing business. And, and, and uh, we, we do live in a in a collaborative world where they have, they have their issues, they have the way that they do business and we have ours. And 
for the most part, if you can establish norms that everybody can agree to, um, you can do things your way and we'll do things our way. But one of the things that we have to remember about Mexico is that it's our number one trading partner. Yeah. And when we talk about the supply chains between our two countries, and I'm getting a little out of my out of my area of expertise, but I know enough about it to at least say a couple of things. And one is that any any manufactured product crosses the border several times before it's finally sold. And right. those type of supply chains are very key. And a lot of the components are made in, in uh, the United States. A lot of the components are made in Mexico, but it's a conglomeration of all of this. If you introduce into this whole fray, Chinese companies that may be interested in buying up Mexican companies, we go back to the, the situation that I mentioned previously on CFIUS. There's going to be components that could get put in there and it goes to the importance of maintaining good cordial relations so that we can figure out where are we at risk and where are we okay to continue manufacturing products with components coming from all over the place. That's right. And, uh, and, and, and we saw, you know, China has been pushing into Latin America tremendously, right? Into, you know, Panama and to, I remember in, uh, well, I think it was 2015 when, when they did the big uh, deregulation or the, the, the new telecom uh, regulation where they wanted to build a, a public network, the Chinese were all over it wanting to, uh, to, to really build the entire network for free. So my biggest concern, um, it, it's in, crazy. From from uh, my previous job, my my biggest concern was the Chinese Chinese encroachment into the hemisphere. The Chinese are after markets; they're after raw materials, uh, and they're they're into presence. So, if you look at what the value that they pay. I have one other thing. They also, they're also looking for a food source. So if you look at raw materials, food and markets, that's what they're after. Now, the way that they go about doing that is obviously they have to establish a presence first. They have to establish the routes that get you back and forth. And then you got to put in all the infrastructure to be able to move things from point A to point B from Latin America back to China. The way that you tie it all together is through information technology. Information technology gets you into the 5G networks. It gets you into situational awareness of everything that's going on in the hemisphere. If you use products such as Huawei, you're going to make yourself vulnerable to having all that information go right back to China. So if you want to provide uh, everything that you put into that network to China to review, um, I think you need to put at least a warning label on that. Yeah. And, and these are some of the concerns that that yeah. every country in Latin America should be uh, taken into account when they deal with China. And, and the other thing is that wherever they go, uh, they're also assessing the ability to have a dual use for whatever port facilities they have or whatever presence they have in a particular country. So if you can bring in um, a container ship um, that's large, you can bring in a like vessel that's military. So right now that's, that hasn't been that big of an issue, but China is constantly looking to expand its military force throughout the world. And so from that perspective, it's concerning. So it's something that we constantly need to monitor and track. Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember when, uh, when AT&T, my former employer, 
uh, you know, uh, bought uh, Nexel Mexico and EUSSL. Uh, that that was one of the big deals, right? That was one of the big shockers to them that the network was all Huawei, and um, <laughs> and they had uh, all, all kinds of issues and problems having to uh, to clean that up, right? So. It's 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 a problem. It's a challenge. Um, you know, I, I don't know where all this goes, but uh, you know, we got smart people like you that uh, that, that that serve government and and hopefully keep uh, keep all of us safe. And one more question, Sergio. I know you got to run. You know, you uh, you talked about your last role at Northcom. I also saw that you were at Southcom too. So yes. you obviously know the region very very well. And from a defense standpoint, uh, the cartels are a big player in that, right? Um, I know U.S. policy towards the region, you know, I, I, like I said, I know, you know, have a lot of friends and a lot of different, uh, I guess, agencies and whatnot. So uh, what, what can you share in that regard that, that you know, it, it isn't, uh, isn't confidential? Well, the drug problem is, is huge. Yeah. Let's start with plant-based drugs. Plant-based drugs are, and we're talking about plant-based drugs, we're talking about Cocaine, yep. heroin, marijuana, yep. those are the key ones. They generate lots and lots and lots of revenue. And when you generate that type of revenue, it allows the cartels to venture into other, other business areas. Yep. They can also get into illegal mining. They can get into human trafficking. Yep. They can get into all sorts of other things that cause violence, that cause uh, a challenge to the state and governability. So, but that's only one part of the problem. Uh, the the plant-based drugs are what creates the problems in Colombia, Peru, Bolivia, and uh, and then you have consumer nations. And then obviously those those plant-based drugs go all over the world. The bigger problem, if you want to look at the death rates in the United States, is synthetic drugs, yeah. and those come from China. Yeah. And unfortunately the cartels that make so much money off the plant-based drugs have been able to invest some of that money into expanding their portfolio and are now getting involved into the synthetic drugs. Which is and really it, the, the, the fentanyl, right? Which is coming well, in from it, China, right? It's, it, it's fentanyl, it's meth, it's meth, it's carfentanyl, yeah. it's, it's, it's opiate derivatives. So there's all sorts of different things. The most concerning is, is the, the fentanyl. Yeah. And if we were doing this on a, on, on, a, on, a, on a TV or, or on, a, on a video screen, what I would show you is I'm, I'm extending my arms uh, as far as they'll go. So that's the path for addiction if you use plant-based drugs. You start you know, from uh, uh, the extension of one arm and you go to the extension of the other arms. Now, shorten that distance down to about a quarter. With, when you use synthetic drugs from first use to full addiction, is significantly shorter. And that's the challenge that we face and also a lot more lethal. We've had, uh, if you look at, at the statistics for 2017, which is the one that I last checked, but it broke it down very nicely. It was 72,000 deaths in the United States. If you look at 2018 and 19, I think it's kind of in that vicinity. We've, we, we started dropping that somewhat, but the challenge has been that with COVID, with people being cooped up, and people being unemployed, you're going to see a jump in those numbers. We don't know exactly what that, that increase is going to be, 
but expect that it's going to be a, a little higher or maybe a lot higher. We don't know yet, but there will be an increase. And so this is the concern that we have. And oh, by the way, that stuff comes from China, either in finished form or it goes uh, or it comes from Mexico with the precursor chemicals to make sure. the fentanyl being produced in Mexico. Well, that's what's so, so, so dangerous too, right? I mean, people can die off of one dose. Correct. So what, again, look at the numbers. Uh, if you go back to when General Kelly, former chief of staff yep. or President Trump, yep. was the commander of Southcom, I remember the very first time I went to one of his presentations. Um, this was maybe less than 10 years ago. He was saying the deaths that we are seeing in the United States due to drug overdose at that time was like 30,000. We've more than doubled that in less than 10 years. The addiction rates and the fatality rates are, are mind-boggling. It's something that we have to wrap our head, or, head around. And oh, by the way, um, if you look at the impact of COVID, it just exacerbates all, you know, everything even more. Yeah. Yeah, General Kelly really understood Latin America very well. I got the opportunity to meet him a bunch of times. Uh, I lived in Doral for 20 years. Uh, so, you know, as you know, Southcom is in Doral, and we would always uh, somehow find our way to uh, to run into each other, him and and a bunch of those guys down there. Uh, all, all good guys, by the way. Um, but, you know, I, I've always been a belief, and, you know, you're, you're, you're Latino like I am, um, you know, at least in business. You know, and I've worked for, you know, some of the, some of the large, you know, global multinational logos out there. And we always said, you know, Latin America was a redheaded stepchild uh, in business, right? You know, companies would always look at Asia Pac and MIA, you know, first, you know, for, for more headcount, more budget, more this or, or, or attention. Kind of kind of sense the same in government. Why, why, why is that? Why don't we get more attention than other regions? Okay, so let me give you the second half of my elevator speech on, right. on, uh, on the Western Hemisphere. We do not have the millennial-long differences of opinion that you have with the uh, children of Abraham. You don't have the conflicts resulting from a renascent Ming dynasty. You don't have the conflicts from a czarist, come communist, come post-communist Russia. You don't have the family quarrels that were the, the wars that raged through all of Europe. You don't have the conflicts that resulted from the, the, the slicing of the big cake, which is Africa during the Berlin conference of the late 1880s. So this gives you, that, that's one of the reasons. So from a conflict perspective, you don't have those kinds of problems. We are in a hemisphere that's basically three cultures, the indigenous, the European, and the African. And so we have more commonality. That's why we don't have those kind of conflicts. When you don't have the kind of conflicts from the military perspective, you don't put as much attention to it. For example, in the Pentagon, there are nine deputy assistant secretaries of defense. I have half the globe and there's eight on the other side that are my counterparts. And for the most part, every one of those has more funding. Why? Because you have to put military assets to deal with hot problems, potential conflicts. And so that's one of the reasons that, it, it, that it's looked upon that way. But if you look at the, on, on, the, on the business side of things, uh, there's quite a bit of trade that goes on that just gets, un, it doesn't get the notice because again, we're 18% of the global population.
Hello. Ah, yeah, I was talking to myself. I, I had muted my screen by accident. So, <laughs> hey, Sergio, I appreciate your time, man. You're you're a stud. You're you're one of the two patriots. Um, prediction: What's going to happen on May third? I, I mean, November third. The president's going to win. Um, I the the biggest concern I have is the way that they've been able to introduce um, all of these ways of voting that are not monitored, are not tracked. And I think what you're going to have is, is corruption at the, at, the, at the polls like we've never seen in the history of the yeah. United States. Yeah, and that's my biggest concern. I think if you, if you were to just have had, even with all the things that just occurred, if you stuck to a one day of voting where everybody goes out and votes and everybody's ID cards get checked, uh, there's no way that, that uh, Vice President Biden would be where he is. So what has happened is they've put in place all of these different ways of voting. And I, I'm okay with the, uh, the absentee ballots. Right. I'm right. not okay with the mail-in ballots because yep. it's been a disaster every place that it's been tried. So unless the president wins by a wide margin, which he may very well do, yep. um, we're going to be counting votes and, and dragging this thing out to the counts come home. I mean, if you want to look at, at a voting disaster, just look at the, at the Iowa caucus. How long did it take for that thing to get resolved? Sure. And it was a dinky little tiny. Well, first of all, just to be fair, I'm a graduate of the University of Iowa, so I love Iowa. Iowa is fantastic. <laughs> but the people that count votes in the Democratic Party in Iowa, um, I think they go. They need to go back and do some remedial math. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was that was absolutely insane. Hey, Sergio, man, I appreciate you. You're a patriot. You're welcome back anytime on Battleground. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see everybody back tomorrow on more Battleground. still stands for freedom and they can't take